Welcome back to After the Kids Go Down. I'm Eileen Sonu. And I'm Bona Lou. <laughs> Where if yeah, you so can't we're talk see, about today. Yeah. If you can't see, Bona's got on some hot pink hoop earrings and I got on a hot pink sweater. I really like these earrings. I've had them forever. But one of my ex-boyfriends called them my red light district earrings. Oh my gosh, that's rude. He's an asshole. <laughs> Hope you're listening to this. <laughs> All right. We're talking about <laughs> the Barbie movie. Some of our thoughts on it and uh I don't know, an array, a plethora of things. How long ago was when we went and when we how long ago was it when we went and saw it? I honestly don't remember. What is time? I have no idea what is time these days. Uh was it before like a school month started? Ago? It was before school, then it had to be like a month and a half ago. But anyways, yeah. it was... no, these days when I think it's like a week ago is a month ago. And when I think oh. it was like six months ago, it was like two years ago. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. What is time? But it was like still newly in, th- uh, not so new yeah. in theaters, but newish. Right. Yeah. Right, right, right. And um, I don't, I mean, I might have seen a trailer like just on a screen somewhere, but I never really paid attention to any like previews or info about it so i don't know about you but i didn't really know what i was walking into just like an inkling i just knew it was like a real life barbie movie but more than just about like barbie and her friends i think what i gathered was is pretty much the same but i do tend to like go down the rabbit hole of like what whether it's an author or a producer or director like i feel like i I will, if it's something I'm interested in, I will go down the rabbit hole of what they thought. So I, maybe I knew a little bit more in that sense. Um, did you have fun that night? I did. It was one of our, um, in our like girl group, I feel like our friends group, um, we've been trying to do more just like casual hangouts and stuff because yeah, it's so sad. But like one of the things that we have a hard time doing as mothers is just like casual hangouts, um, like mm-hmm. impromptu casual hangouts. I don't even remember it was that impromptu. I think... Kind of. I mean, is impromptu is like what, like a week or two weeks notice? Yeah. Um, these days, yeah. But it was fun. We got some drinks after the movie, and I think all of us like we wanted to talk about it, right? But then I was also kind of like, it was so fresh. We didn't know like what we thought. Like I couldn't sort out my own thoughts from it. But I remember like even um even when you couldn't sort out your thoughts, like you and some of the girls were mentioning some things that definitely planted more seeds in my mind mm. that I came back to later. Like what? I was thinking about like, what kind of movie is Barbie to me? Like, yes, I didn't know what it was going into it. And then I was pleasantly surprised. And I loved like seeing a lot of actors that I like in it, especially Mm -hmm. like Ryan Gosling. I mean, his spray tan was horrendous, but I I really enjoy watching him on screen. He was like glowing radioactively. (gasps) Yeah, Yeah, I guess I did know (laughs) he was. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't understand like why he was the only one that looked like that. Like, I wish he had just been, like, beautifully tan and not <laughs> grotesquely but I think real life orange Ken, tan. I think real-life Ken is kind of, like, too tan. I think I think that was a thing, like, the way that it really? looked. Really? But don't, then shouldn't, shouldn't Margot Robbie also have been like that? But she was just in all her stunning glory. No, like, Barbie didn't look artificial. Well, no, because another thing is, Ken's whole thing is, like, the beach, right? So he he had to be tan because he's been at the beach too but much. The, but the other Kens weren't. Simu Lu wasn't, like, you know, brown, brown, like That's a true. burnt That's true. cookie brown. Oh, okay. Also, I guess a little bit warning here. If you haven't seen the movie and you still want to, you maybe you should just stop listening to this. Unless you don't really care to see it and you just want to hear. Because there will be some yeah. spoilers. But at this point, and we're doing I mean, it at this point, too, because I think most people have either watched it or... Yeah. Mm-hmm. But anyway, even with that, I mean, he's just so delicious and talented and can dance <laughs> and can sing and he's funny and, you know. It's the anyway, tribute to the was, Musketeer, the, the Disney Musketeer days. Yeah. It it was just like, you know, a, a feast for the eyes and like a joy to just behold and be a part of. But it also in the in the weeks following, I thought about it a lot. I think the first like week after I saw it. Mm mm-hmm. I was thinking about it in like this web of thoughts. So what that was made up of basically was like what I thought the movie was about. For me, it was a movie that was about perspectives, the woman to woman relationship. Okay. Right. Like like a woman and her community and then woman to man. Okay. And then also woman to child. 
Oh, like motherhood. Um, so for that first one, like woman to woman, I thought so much about how important it was in Barbie land for the Barbies to be cheering each other on and being encouraging of one another's careers, right? Like they're, they're, they're seriously like, I mean, they're each other's number one fans. It's like everyone is in everyone's fan club. Yeah. They're the biggest cheerleaders. Yeah. And I mean, they point that out in the movie, but I feel like in real life, like how often does that really happen? Right. Right. I mean, well, granted, yeah, they were talking about utopia, like Barbie utopia, you know, the Mm -hmm. the female Mm -hmm. utopia is when I guess like we're all cheering each other on and and we don't feel competitive. Yeah. But I think it was highlighting just how much women need a village, not just mothers needing a village to raise their children. But I think women in general, like, and it makes sense, right? Like for how interpersonally gifted and sensitive a lot of women are not all but a lot of women are i think it would make sense that like when you have a village who's supportive and encouraging Mm -hmm. it is valuable it is important and it does do a lot to get you farther oh yeah um so i loved that like i loved like how they illustrated like how even as a single woman you can have a village that keeps you going you know um yeah because they were all pretty much single they all, yeah. yeah, none of them until later on actually wanted to be with a man. Because mm-hmm. I don't think any of them are technically like married or anything like that. It's I don't I don't think they are. Or- I do have to say like about that. I, I really, really it would have elevated the movie so much more for me if like Issa Rae, the Barbie who played president. I really liked her. Like she was, she mm-hmm. just had so much charisma. But anyway, yeah. if she had come home from her presidential duties and was fixing dinner for her kids mm. and trying to help a kid like finish their homework and then like yelling at a kid like to i don't know like go put his socks in the laundry or something like that would have made it so so much more real and relatable mm. and mm-hmm. like i would have loved that so much yeah for her to encompass like both her bossness and also her mothering you mm-hmm. know all together mm-hmm. in one like a bigger picture um, of femininity yeah, yeah. Instead of just completely separating out motherhood into um like, right? There's just America Ferrer and her daughter and mm-hmm. then you've got the pregnant Barbie. What was her name? Midge. Yeah. That is interesting, yeah, that the the utopia was none of them had to deal with children. Not deal with children, but none of them like I don't know what that says right. about the what they what people believe in like the perfect way a woman will function exactly. a woman would function yeah so yeah there was that perspective i think the second one that is the most obvious one probably to people is that perspective of like woman to man mm-hmm. right like the movie completely flips or the the director right i know some people i i don't i don't know actually do some people not believe that we live in patriarchy i think people can think that it's gotten a lot better um, that we're mm-hmm. a lot more vocal about it. But I honestly mm-hmm. believe that there's so much subversiveness that we don't think about. And that's like the real mm-hmm. the real problem. So in, in this movie, right, they make it very obvious. They make it so that you can obviously right. see that yeah. women are all in charge, the Barbies. You've got President Barbie, author Barbie, like whatever. Um, uh, What else? Like lawyer sanitation. Barbie. Sanitation Barbies. Right, sanitation Barbie. I mean, they, they're they're all the ones with the jobs. They run the government. They run society. Like they're the people who matter. The Kens are like constantly trying to get their approval and acknowledgement and respect. So they flip that script of reality mm-hmm. where the the women are in power instead of the men. It was almost like instead of patriarchy, it's just now matriarchy. But they just made it like whatever happens in real life. They just did the opposite. So like even towards the end, not super reasonable, like uh, realistic. But when Ken was like, can I be can we have like representation in the Supreme Court? And she was just like, no, which is not I mean, it's not exactly true. Like there are was like four women justices. So it's not exactly half, but it's like a little less. But the point that they were trying to make is that it like it took so much for a woman to get become a Supreme Court justice, you know? So when mm-hmm. Ken was like, can we have representation? And she was just flat out like, no, like that's how it feels. Yeah. So we were talking about how they like very intentionally just made it like really opposite of how it is in real life. Yeah. You know, I have a major problem, though. And like this goes back to the lack of uh, representation of motherhood in the movie. 
I I don't think I don't think anybody can call this matriarchy. It it just it just is a state of anti-patriarchy, I think. Because matriarchy, like literally the root word in matriarchy is mother. Mm. So I think as long as there's like no children running around or no like nothing, any semblance of like children or mothering going on in Barbie land, it's just it's not matriarchy. The one extra thing I wanted to mention, too, is um, I think it's interesting to note that there's a power struggle between men and women. But I think when you flip the script, it's not apples to apples anymore. Like the Venice Beach roller is are they rollerblading rollerblading scene? Uh huh. You know, when Ken and Barbie are in like the neon 80s um, skating gear. Oh, yeah, that's right. Didn't you say that that was a real scene? Yeah. yeah. So the director, Greta Gerwig, was saying that when they filmed that, people were actually responding in real time in addition to the extras, I'm guessing. But not everybody was an extra. So Mm -hmm. the actual pedestrians who were walking on Venice Beach would walk by um, Ryan Gosling and talk to him, like give him a high five and say, you look great in neon, man. And, Mm. you know, high five and stuff. But for Margot Robbie, they would just look at her, like check her out up and down, but not Mm. engage with her and keep walking. So in real time, right, she's actually... Like, we're actually seeing that objectifying of women. Oh. And even the character herself in the movie, Barbie, talks about how she's uncomfortable because she feels a sense of violence. Mm, that was a towards good line. her. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the part that's not apples to apples. Mm. I feel like when you when you flip with with men being in power, I think there's always this um this like level of fear mm-hmm. in women mm-hmm. of being um, like physically overpowered or, or threatened. Dominated. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I think when it's flipped, it's like, I don't like, you can see it like with the Kens um, when the women are in power and the Kens are trying to get their attention and stuff. I mean, mm-hmm. it's, it's playful looking, it's cute, it's funny, but nothing about it feels like sinister and heavy and threatening. Yeah. You know, I just had this thought that when, when the Barbies or the females, women are, women are in power, the Kens become like babies, like children. Mm-hmm. So it seems more like, like cutesy and like, I mean, like eye roll, but yeah they just seem kind of childish right what was the uh, the third the third thing that you... oh so the last one is the perspective of woman to child right? yeah. so we covered like woman to woman and then woman to man and then last is woman to child mm-hmm. and um I, it just made me think about how America Fur's character, right? She like really wants, she really misses playing Barbies with her daughter, mm-hmm. right? And her daughter's grown up now and is this like angsty teenager, um, like trying to grapple with the realities of the world. And she, you know, has lost this connection with her mom. And so America Ferreira, like trying to play with those Barbie dolls that she used to play with, with her daughter, like she's playing with them again. And like her feelings, right. Are being infused into Barbie, which then transferred mm-hmm. to Margot Robbie's character's thoughts. Mm-hmm. Right. But um, just watching like America Ferreira's character and her, her, uh, the, the actor who plays her daughter, It just shows how connection with your child, how it looks different across ages, Mm -hmm. right? Like as, as a young girl, like she was her connecting with her daughter and like validating her feelings for her daughter. And, um, that was through play and that was through playing with Barbie dolls for them. But as they grow older, you see the daughter light up when the mom is giving her speech. Mm, oh, I see. You see yeah. the daughter light up when her mom is like singing, belting out this, you know, old song alongside Barbie. Yeah. And then you see her daughter kind of like come into all of this. Like she 
like after that speech, she's like, yeah, like Barbie, like she jumps in too and she feels invested. And she's like, mom, like you need to give this speech to everybody. Right. Yeah. So it's, it's something that like resonates with her. And so it's kind of like, like America Ferrera was pining for this long lost connection with her daughter. And so she kept trying to reconnect in that way. Oh. But she's finding now like she just she can still connect with her daughter. It just looks different. Yeah. You know, it's like connecting more like woman to woman. Yeah. I read before that Greta Gerwig, like her across all her movies, like Lady Bird, Little Women. Um, and then there's a couple more. I don't remember. But those are like some of the main ones. Her big overarching theme in a lot of these movies is just as a girl growing into a woman. And oh. Yeah. So I, I think in, in all the um, what they what Barbie called like malfunctions, I guess. But it's like all the the reality that starts to settle in but i think the little the the daughter i forget her name in the movie and in real life but the daughter i think her thing was she was just like growing into a woman and it was like all the things that like she you know was like internally kind of just like going through and then um, right america forever to like find connection through that Yes. And I think she just needed to see that like, oh, she needed to be able to say those things to her mom and show her. Mm -hmm. And I think she needed to be able to see that her mom also like has thoughts like that, too. Mm -hmm. And also like growing, um, allowing the the child to like grow, allowing the child to grow on her own, but then like being there every step of the way instead Mm -hmm. of um, wanting to go back to something you're familiar with and keep your child in a box. In a Barbie box. Um, okay, Gloria is the name of the mom. Sasha mm-hmm. is the name of the daughter. Mm-hmm. So I find that really relatable. Like y- you would think it's just intuitive, right? You're like, yeah, of course you wouldn't play with a 14-year-old the way that you play with a four-year-old. But it's actually not very intuitive when you become a mom because mm-hmm. it's weird. Like they grow so fast and they evolve so fast that I almost feel like by the time you've mastered how to play with them when they're four, we're mo- mm-hmm. we moved on to five. Yeah. And by the time I've like kind of mastered five, we're moving on to six. Mm-hmm. And sometimes the leaps and the ages, I feel like they, you, you come across some years where um, it's like a, it's like an exponential jump, mm-hmm. you know, in communication so or expression or like their, the ability for them to connect their thoughts and play. Yeah. And so um, like, I've had that recently with Anderson where, um, for the longest time, I was just watching him, like when he was little, I would just watch him play with his cars and his monster trucks. And he always just wanted to put on these like shows for me and I would watch them. And it it was always, it, it wasn't like, it's not that much fun for me, right? Because I can't, he doesn't let me like actually play with him because oh he God, just so, wants me yeah. to watch. Yeah. And then they ask you to, and then you're like, oh, like this. And they're like, no, not like this, like this. And you're just like, well, exactly. let me. Exactly. <laughs> it's so annoying. Right. I'm like, I can't do anything right. Like, what do you want me to do? I'll just <laughs> yeah. go over here and read a book then. And yeah. he's like, no, but I want you to play with me. I'm like, I'm trying to, you know? No, I know. That's, yeah. Yeah. Um, but, but like, I just, I don't know. I hit a wall where I thought, oh my gosh, like I can sense him trying to connect with me. Mm -hmm. But the way that I think like he's trying to connect with me the way that we used to, um, which never worked for me, like in the first place, the whole car playing, I I just Mm -hmm. suck at playing with cars. So anyway, I started getting into the game that he's been obsessed with for the past couple of months among us. Oh, He loves like playing with me. He loves playing with Andrew. And now that I like know that, know the game, Mm -hmm. um, I feel like there's a whole new part of him that I'm getting to know. Mm -hmm. And I feel way more connected. Like I'm like, oh my gosh, like this is what six and three quarters looks like in you right now. That makes sense. (laughs) That's yeah, that's it's like sweet and heartbreaking and like all these things wrapped up in one, I think. Yeah. And it's like, but but it's like it wasn't it it was like a sudden like aha moment. It mm-hmm. wasn't a oh, yeah, of course, I'm supposed to move on to the next thing and like switch right. how we play. It wasn't intuitive. Right. Yeah, I know. exactly. You know? What you so mean. it makes yeah. sense to me. And it's relatable that even Gloria and Sasha in the movie that that Gloria was kind of stumped for a long time. And she was just. You know, she just kept doing the only thing she knew how and was just Mm -hmm. frustrated and hit Mm -hmm. a wall until Barbie came along. Yeah. 
It's easy to want to stay in the same thing that uh, it's either out of comfort or like fear of change. And then like, I think somewhere in the back of your mind, you know that the change is because the child is growing. But I think we're like trying to avoid some kind of heartbreak about it in some way. And, you know, in all transparency, I don't know if you wanted me to divulge this, but I'm going to. Um, This is not our first recording for this this episode. Uh, This (laughs) (laughs) like what? I've worn this sweater before. (laughs) Bona's earrings are new, (laughs) but um, (laughs) this is not our first recording for this. And I mean, yeah. In transparency, like this is part of the process too, where like you just have to like think talk things. about that. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, did you know fucked it up again? Just gone and done fucked it up. Oh, really? I'm just kidding. I'm okay, just okay, kidding. okay. <laughs> well, the, the reason on, is the reason yeah, why it's our second it. recording is because when we first did the initial recording, I could feel myself freezing up on like live time like you were asking me questions we were trying to have this back and forth exchange Mm -hmm. and conversation and my brain just was all of a sudden I felt so self-conscious and and like locked up yeah and and I think somewhere in the back of my mind I had been thinking about this for like the week in between our recording um that I I feel self-conscious um because something that I've heard very often in my life Mm -hmm. and I think you've said this before too Mm -hmm. um is that people will say kind of coming like oh like why are you being so serious about this or like I've heard things like very cheekily like um oh like that's too deep for me or something like that you know oh. um and it, this is not to toot my own horn about being a deep thinker I think it's just you're I'm, so smart I know <laughs> I know guys <laughs> Um, I think it's just I'm more curious about why this has become a thing like why this has become a saying that is acceptable in real mm-hmm. life and why when I hear it why do I feel so much shame about the way that I am I'm curious I think about I mean but it, I'm sure the person who says it they've got to know like you feel shame because it's a shaming statement like why are you so blah 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 you could put anything in there yeah you know that's yeah the highlight the focus is more on like why are they not just letting you think your thoughts yeah, or, and, and that's I mean, that, that's what comes to mind for me. Yeah, I mean, there's a there's a multitude of reasons, and I do kind of land on more that I think somehow over time or the, over the course of many lives, um, mm-hmm. talking about our inner stuff and like the things that go on in our mind and having thoughts about things, I feel mm-hmm. like it's become taboo. You out have of thoughts fear. about things. <laughs> What does that feel like? (laughs) It stems from fear. And I understand it. I understand it because I feel like I've been there many times. But it just made me really self-conscious in that that last recording. And I I go through ways of that all the time. I didn't know that. Yeah. I I knew that it was difficult. I mean, it was difficult for both of us. But I think it was for different reasons. I was tired. And I knew it was difficult for you for some other reasons um, that you like wanted to think about. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I, I knew that if it didn't feel some parts of it didn't feel personal enough for you, but I didn't, I don't think I knew that, um, you felt I, that self-conscious. Yeah. That I started freezing up out of self-consciousness. Yeah. yeah. I don't, I didn't think like, about it you, until after. I have a question. Yeah. Were you self-conscious about talking about it with me or thinking about our prospective audience? Thinking about the perspective audience. Okay. Yeah. Cause, cause another critique that I've heard of this movie is um, something that you brought up too before or, or uh, in the beginning. I think the critique that I commonly hear is whether or not this movie is uh, feminist or, or not, you know? Um, and like mm-hmm. basically, like, why should we care? And so I felt like I was like, uh, just like thinking about that. And then like, you know, this common refrain that I hear about like you know you're so serious like why are you making this so serious you know I just started getting really in my head about like Mm. what am I talking about right now like do I need to be talking about this do I need to like Mm. keep opening my mouth and I saw this like meme I think I sent it to you before too this little meme that was like I think about the things that like I talked about before and it makes me cringe but I also can't stop Mm. talking or something like that Mm. yeah so I was like live time cringing at myself and I don't know. It was a weird. It was it just messed me up. So now, right, we're going to just like if if you are able to push that aside mm-hmm. and and we picture, right? Somebody's like, "I want to know 
I want to know what your thoughts were, serious or not. Like, what were they? So the critique of like, is it feminist or not? I am not here to say it is or isn't. I honestly, I don't know. Like, I don't know. But the one thing that I do mm-hmm. think about is that like, I believe that patriarchy is really hard to escape. Um, like it, you, it cannot be dismantled. I think it's so deeply in, embedded in rooted mm-hmm. in us that it cannot be dismantled. Mm-hmm. And we were even talking about it earlier that I think it's so sneaky in some ways, mm-hmm. you know, that we just don't know how that we're operating within it still. So do you feel like this movie is operating inside of patriarchy in a sneaky way? And I... that way that you're talking about where like sometimes we don't we don't know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think the messaging of the movie in the first place, like what we talked about before, like the creation of Barbie was was and is in opposition to motherhood. Um, I think that feels more like like the opposition of that, it feels more like hustle culture. And is that a thing? Or are you like yeah, it is, pointing yeah. it right now? Uh-uh, no, no. Oh. I cannot, I don't have the ingenuity to coin that. Um, I'm pretty sure it's a thing. I've heard it before. Anyways, hus- hustle culture. It's like it, that. Hustle culture isn't just like hustling. Like It's like that boss bitch, like boss bitch vibe. Oh, that's interesting. Okay. Well, that's how I've heard it before. But that, okay. that to me is something, I don't know if, everyone does but i equate it to patriarchy um, okay wait can you define that hustle culture you're talking about just, it's to, just, just like, to clarify that we're not talking about like you know hustling things on the street no no, no like yeah. like boss bitch like you work you work hard you grind like you make money you're productive um mm. and i think that um it's not the whole movie but i feel like it's a big theme of the movie that you you know you need to for or, sure or just like for the women's movement in general, I think like the do something with your life and be a productive part of society. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I feel like that's still a theme in the feminist movement that um, feels patriarchal to me. And then the next thing that I'll say. It's almost like you're equating uh like productivity or um, equating value with work is patriarchal. Yeah, I think so. And I I don't know how exactly I can, I I haven't fleshed all this out, you know, Mm -hmm. fully, but Something about it has this like remnant of like production, work, grinding. Your meaning is in, you know, these like outwardly things. Um, I think because in my mind, I'm, I like it, it makes me think of the industrial movement mm. and capitalism mm-hmm. and all of that. Like it, it goes back to money, mm-hmm. it feels mm-hmm. like. And money I think money and power, and power mm-hmm. are totally patriarchal ideas in my mind too. Right. Ideas. Yeah. Patriarchal ideas. I think that, I guess that's a good way to put it. But the next thing that I'll say, and this is, I guess, like the bigger portion of it, but I, uh, I do have a hard time wrapping my own thoughts around it, but I will, I will try. I think the movie points out things about patriarchy that are obvious and explicit, but, but the things that it points out that are obvious and explicit, I don't feel like are what the women's movement is really about or what we're like, at the root of it, what we're really discontent about. Um, it feels kind of like a straw man, meaning we're arguing um, that things like the catcalling, the hyper-masculinity, um, power dominance, and, you know, like Will Ferrell's character where he mm-hmm. was like this big, dumb baby baby man mm-hmm. in charge. Mm-hmm. Um, we're arguing that those things, which are a problem, they're a problem when they're a problem. But I think that these days, those things are very easily called out and canceled. So you're saying that the things that they point out and construct as patriarchy in the movie are not the really nefarious things yes, about patriarchy right. today. Yeah. And I think that, that they're that's the easy what, things yeah, that you feel like why, are being canceled already. Yes. And I, oh. I think that's why it feels like that's the mainstream stuff that it feels easily digestible and why people will rally behind it so hard so quickly. Because, it, I mean, it's relatively it's, it's acceptable. not easy. Yeah, it's not easy topics, but they're like, mm-hmm. well, I think those issues are kind of self-sabotaging these days anyways. Like, mm. it's just so easy to pick up on. And like, mm-hmm. like for better or worse, I think men who do that kind of stuff will kind of like, what is it? Like self-screen, you know, because it's so unacceptable these days. Mm. Um, I, I think anyways, but it's, it's like the it's like the basic bitch things of patriarchy. <laughs> Yeah, basically. <laughs> basically. Bring it back to episode one. So I think that Greta Gerwig, I think 
she gets to the underlying problem more at the very end of the movie. So once again, spoiler, it didn't get that much screen time. And I also don't think that it got that much focus from like the general population. Yeah, um, I don't think so either. You know what it's scene I'm talking about? It's or the scene where Barbie and Ken are on her bed mm-hmm. um, and she was trying to take back Kendom and they have a really vulnerable moment of basically like talking about why Ken is doing the things that he's doing. Right. Yeah, Ken is very vulnerable. He's tearing up. He's talking about um how hurt mm-hmm. he felt. Mm-hmm. Um and he's really laying his heart out there for Barbie. Yeah. To and, see. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think that ending so I think generally people focus on the kind of like that I'm woman hear me roar uh, like F the patriarchy kind of vibe. But the ending scene is Ken talking about he's hurt and he basically like admits to acting like an asshole because he's hurt. Actually, he he admits that like he didn't even like patriarchy and he, he was yeah, he just in it for the horses. He said he thought it was going to be more about horses, yeah. but he was disappointed. And it, I'm not, it's not okay that he or anyone acts like an asshole. Uh, but I think that end scene I feel like that end scene, there was a lot of humanism there. And I think that is the harder pill to swallow about all of this. That to undo an oppressive system, we have to humanize the oppressor. Mm. That last sentence, humanizing the oppressor, is like really activating for me. Yeah. It's really triggering for me, honestly. And, uh, what about it? And so it's like, okay, okay, let me try to unpack this. Because mm-hmm. it's like a swirling shitstorm in my brain. And I'm going to try to process it with you in real time. Okay. <laughs> um, we don't, we don't have to, yeah, we don't have to keep this if you don't feel comfortable. Yeah. No, <gasps> no, no, no. I, this is how I intended it. This okay. is how I intended it. I, I could feel it. And I decided not to try to like parse it out too much because I wanted to try to do it because this is what, this is what our podcast was built upon. This was like the genesis of all of it was you Mm -hmm. and me trying to unpack shit storms, you Mm -hmm. know? Honestly, Uh, if I, if I can say, I feel like when, you know, when we were just like going back and forth about like talking, like, you know, what we're going to talk about and stuff. Um, And there's been other times I feel like when I talk about stuff like this, I feel like there is like a little undertone of, would you call it anger? It's yeah, just like kinda... anger. it's anger, but it's also equally, I think, grief, mm. also frustration mm. and fear. There's a lot of fear. There's like a, I don't want to humanize the oppressor. <laughs> no. So, OK, first of all, I want to say that um, <clears throat> that scene in Barbie was beautiful. I think. The dance scene and, you know, other like more eye candy moments were also beautiful, but this was more beautiful at a heart level. And it has that, it had that like transformative power that you see in relationships that are healing, like whether it's with your children or whether it's with your spouse or a friend. So I think it, I agree with you in that it was a really big moment that um, I'm glad that Greta included, but I do wish that it had gotten more time or more um, focus from people. Mm-hmm. I don't think it was given its due attention mm-hmm. and thought, right? Mm-hmm. Also, like, I have no problems with um, how, like, that scene played out. And, like, knowing the characters of Ken and Barbie, I was, like, so happy for them. Mm-hmm. So happy for them. Especially, like, you know, just seeing how you know, like in the course of a movie, you kind of like get endeared to the characters. Mm-hmm. And I did find Ken really endearing. I think it kind of goes back to something you said earlier too, though, that like when in real life, when the, the script is flipped, the men are like these like lost puppy dogs. So it, it feels easier to be endeared to them mm-hmm. um, than in real life when like we think of like hyper masculine, like I don't know, Donald Trump's or something where you're like, I don't want to, like, there's nothing endearing about him, you know? Like when, yeah, when you flip the script, it's not, it's not apples to apples. 
You know, I, I don't think like, as in Barbie is not a, um, a threatening, menacing oppressor, mm-hmm. like in this role as Ken as the oppressed and mm-hmm. Barbie as the oppressor. I mean, 10 out of 10, you can find way more menacing oppressors than this Barbie character. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So, and the reason we say that is because, yeah, when you flip it, where the woman is the oppressed and the man is the oppressor, I think there is a lot of, there, there are a lot more tones of violence and mm-hmm. fear that are running through it. Um, anyway, like I, I just, I felt very endeared to Ken from the beginning. Just, you know, anybody can re- relate to that character, to, to the feelings of like wanting to be loved, wanting that attention. You know, I mean, you feel that with like your parents, um, like your teachers growing up, like, you know, it's a common feeling that a lot of us has, have felt at some point. So anyway, I love that scene for Ken and for Barbie. Just bear with me. I'm trying to like okay, take it step okay. by step so I can like cover everything, you know, to try okay, to get to where yeah. I, I'm like trying to, I'm trying to walk up to the swamp. So I think in my own personal life, I also want to live up to that ideal of humanizing the oppressor. I think as a Christian, I also want to live up to that, you know, love your enemy. It's the same thing. So I, I agree. And I like, I I want to do all that. I think, I think where a lot of feelings bubble up for me is I think of all the times that I have felt unsafe and fearful and threatened mm-hmm. by mm-hmm. oppressors, different oppressors, not always male, mm-hmm. sometimes female. And, and I've felt that at different life stages, right? Not only as a grown woman, but also as an extremely vulnerable child. Mm-hmm. And um, it almost feels like in order to humanize the oppressor, um, the oppressor has to meet some conditions. The oppressor has to be somebody who like Ken is safe, right? Mm-hmm, he never mm-hmm. was like a wife beater mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in the movie. So he never was like physically aggressive or threatening or violent towards Barbie, mm-hmm. nor was he ever emotionally abusive, not mentally abusive. I mean, really, he was this like innocuous character, just like, love me, love me, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so he's safe, really. Mm-hmm to like do anything with i mean i don't know in the, in the movie honestly it's kind of like he's like a gay best friend right yeah. he has that vibe of like a gay best friend and what i mean by gay best friend is like everything that you would love about your husband minus the threatening like sexual energies mm-hmm. or like threatening physical energies right so anyway i feel like the conditions that that oppressor has to meet is i want to feel i would want to feel safe mm-hmm. around them like physically, mentally, emotionally. Um, also, that oppressor would need to show a willingness to be vulnerable themselves. Mm-hmm. Would also show a willingness to listen mm-hmm. and validate my feelings as well, which Ken was doing. You know, he he poured out his heart, but then also when Barbie was explaining, Ken didn't get defensive. Yeah, Ken didn't like throw it back on her or mm-hmm. try to blame her or criticize her or hey. Let me tell you about this time, this one time that you actually forgot to mention that you like really messed with, like you really hurt my feelings and blah, blah. You know, he never did that. He was yeah. a very gentle, yeah, open was, Yeah, character. there was a lot of self-pity. He was just like sobbing, um, mm-hmm. but like mm-hmm. willing to take it, you know? Right. He basically poured his heart out like, I love you. I want to spend my life with you. I want this to be like Ken and Barbie. Like, I mean, sorry, Barbie and Ken's dream house. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I just like, you are my soul and apple of my eye and everything, right? Yeah. And then when she basically rejects that softly and humanely, but then also tells him like, you know, she, she says, no, like, we're not going to do that. He takes that with grace. Mm-hmm. And then she also says, and you don't know who you are and you need to go find out who you are. He also mm-hmm. takes that with grace. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is like, to me, this is not a realistic oppressor. It is an oppressor who in real life would have done an incredible amount of work mm-hmm. and who deeply loves the other and like has uh, love for themselves. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, yes, I can humanize the oppressor. I, I can humanize Ken. Yeah. And I can humanize an oppressor who, you know, meets these like conditions I was saying. Now, as a Christian, I think we're driven to unconditionally love. So it's hard, right? It's like 
we want to strive to love our enemy, no matter how unlovable or despicable our enemy is, you know? But so again, like it, it is an ideal that I, I, I strive for. And for, you know, to the end of my days, I mean, I see myself like striving towards this, mm-hmm. but, um, I think it also activates a lot of past hurts mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and experiences. I get what you're saying about about all that because I, in line with like the, I guess like the Christian theology, I think a lot of times you hear, especially when it pertains to like, I don't know, like racism, you know, people will just say like, all you need to do is like love God, love people. And that like blanket statement, you're just like, doy, like I know doy, I know that, but it's also really, really hard because it's so complicated because it isn't just like the Barbie and Ken world where Ken is so, you know, the way that he is, um, where it makes it easy, but yeah, but I get you instinctively it. feel love and nurturing towards Ken, or at least I did. Right. That that's why I'm saying, I feel like this is the harder pill to swallow because, because it's just so, it's so hard to do, but I, I guess in my mind, I don't, it's not, um, a linear thing. It's not just like you were, we're just supposed to like love the person who's like oppressing us. Um, and, and I will say too, I had this thought while you were talking that I, like I have an easier time thinking about this in regards to like, it's almost like believing that a a man can change in a sense, like giving them the, almost like the benefit of the doubt that they can change. If like, if I can somehow, somehow like humanize them, you know, in, in my mind, in conversation, in interactions. Um, But I actually, I have a really hard time doing this with, with white people. When it comes to like, you know, can I, do I believe like a white person can change? Um, that, that gets really hard for me. So it makes me think that, I mean, a lot of this is emotional and relational. Like the way, the way, what I believe can and can't happen, it stems from like the the relationships that I know and then the emotions that I feel around it. Go back to the white people thing though. What, what is, um, is it because you don't have as much experience like in your friendships with white people and is it, do you feel like that's why, because of the, because you haven't had as much like many relationships with them or like the depth of relationships that it's I, I harder so. for you I, to humanize them? I think it's a lot. I think like my experiences with, um, whiteness and like the oppression that I, I felt, I feel like that has felt much stronger than mm-hmm. like, that was more, it's oh, like a more I, of I a burning searing experience in my mind mm. than like, um, than like feeling oppressed by me. I felt, I felt both to varying degrees at varying points in time, like what you're saying too. Yeah. But somehow it just like the weight of it, I guess, is like what, yeah. what I end up feeling is I yeah, see. like that one versus feels heavier. What? Like if you had to put like a, you know, another example versus, versus like for, um, for instance, like, I in, guess what in, I'm trying to say, just topic. yeah, I think personally mm-hmm. my experience, it just hasn't been I don't want to say like it hasn't been as bad because I don't know like your experience, you know. I, I do no, no, like no, no. from what it. you told me, but I mean it's all it's all entertaining, it, you know, it's all the mm-hmm. intersection is all there too. But when I think of just like the feelings of oppression from like man to woman, um, versus the feelings of oppression from like white people to people of color, mm. um, like that, like the man, the gender piece is a little bit easier for me to soften or like humanize yeah. some reason yeah like for I me see. to humanize me but for me to think about like like to humanize like it's gonna be a blanket statement but like but like white people are just hurting you know or they're fearful you know of difference of change or whatever um mm-hmm. like that feels harder to me mm-hmm. like I don't want to give that benefit of the doubt even though somewhere in the back of my mind I might think that or know that but I am less willing to like say that or believe it. So the whole conditional thing, do you feel that, do you, can you relate to that um, in terms of white people where if that white person showed you that they want to be vulnerable, they want to learn, they're here to listen and they're here to speak from the heart. Like that, that whole statement where I was like, I need you to show me that you meet some conditions before we, before we sit down on my bed and chat, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. I understand that. That, yeah. Okay. I was writing down some notes as you were kind of parsing mm-hmm. out like where it feels easier for you and where it feels more difficult for you to humanize the oppressor. And um, I think for me, like gender is a, like it, it is very much entrenched. Like a lot of these feelings, like for you, it's more about race. It's less about gender. 
race. I don't know. I'll tackle that another day. That's, <laughs> that might be another swamp, but, but gender is still very swampy for me. And mm. all those feelings of, you know, that we talked about in the beginning that you asked me what of what's coming up, like the anger, frustration, grief. Mm -hmm. Um, I forget what else I said. All of that mm -hmm. is here. It mm -hmm. is here. And, and, um, I think first of all, first of all, whether it's white or Asian, I have seen, I have experienced, and my life has been affected by male violence. Mm -hmm. I think what I feel in my chest when we have these conversations is the burden of that trauma. Mm -hmm. I grew up well, my mom grew up with, at times, my grandfather beating my grandmother. Mm -hmm. um, and, but it's not just the trauma of her having grown up with that, but it's also her relaying these stories to me through the lens that my grandmother in a way deserved it because she, she was egging him on or mm. she was provoking him or she, you know, was, was saying things that she shouldn't. So it warped my mind, right. That, um, this was somehow acceptable mm. in those scenarios. So that was, you know, I mean, I heard, I heard those things growing up and then, you know, within my parents' marriage, I, I witnessed you know, my dad loses temper and beat her when I was little. That is still a traumatic memory for me. And then, you know, when I was a teenager, I was smart mouthing off to my dad and he was in a very emotionally vulnerable state. I mean, of course, I didn't know that as a 16 year old. Right. Mm -hmm. And then he lost his temper then and beat me. So like that happening to me connected back to that happening to my mom in a very painful way in that moment, mm -hmm. um, like where I, I started like mimicking and reacting the way that my mom had mm -hmm. when I was four and I saw her like reacting to that. I reacted the same way without even like thinking about it. I think that's how it just, it connected up in my mind, um, and then, I mean, I thought about, I thought a lot about whether I should share this or not. And um, I think I'll just share a little bit. When I was 21 in college, I was sexually assaulted. Mm -hmm. And that, you know, I've worked on that a lot. I've worked on that in therapy and I'm able to talk about it now without, I wasn't for a long time, I wasn't even able to talk about it. Now I think not only am I able to talk about it, but I'm able to process it more neutrally without mm -hmm. being stuck in like the emotions of it. But I think because of these instances that have happened in my life, I do not feel safe. Mm -hmm. And it takes a lot for a male to make me feel safe. Mm -hmm. For me to trust mm -hmm. that we can sit down together and I can humanize you and you will not take advantage of me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I think that's, you know, those are the, those are the things that I'm still working through mm -hmm. again, like with the caveat, like, I think my ideal is the same as yours. It's just the distance of trying to get there mm. feels really far. Um, yeah. a lot of days. Yeah. That makes uh, sense. That makes yeah. Sense. But I, I, I do think like, like my husband, Andrew, you know? I feel safe with him. I feel safe humanizing him. I feel safe sitting down and, and like just listening to him and asking him to listen to my heart. Mm -hmm. um, but it took a long time, even mm -hmm. with my own husband. I mean, we've been married for 10 years. Well, going on 10 years very soon. And then before that, um, we dated for uh, two. And then before that, we were friends for like five. You know, it's been a long time. Mm -hmm. But there were some vicious fights when we were dating and early on in our marriage where um, I did not feel safe and I could not humanize him. And then therefore, like he felt like he wasn't being respected. Right. Mm -hmm. He wasn't being seen. And so you can imagine how fights would go. Right. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, I think that's that knot in my chest that I have to kind of like. I don't, I don't know, like, I have to temper.
the other side of it, I, I, this came up to is, um, in my relationship with my mom, right. Who's not a male with, with my mom's relationship, you know, we're still working through and healing from our codependent relationship mm-hmm. that she and I, um, were really enmeshed in together growing up. I'm healing from it, but she is also healing from it mm-hmm. as well. Um, so we're each like finding our own selves today. The reason I'm bringing this up is because I think for a really long time, very, very long time, not just childhood, but into young adulthood, into even recent adulthood, I thought that um, my codependency with her and putting her feelings and thoughts and identity above mine was mm-hmm. humanizing her. I mischaracterized. I mischaracterized our codependent, unhealthy relationship as mm-hmm. me humanizing her and mm-hmm. loving her. And I'm still, I'm still like, you know, now I think I'm learning a little bit better. Like, okay, you know, this is the healthy way to humanize somebody without compromising your own boundaries and your own identity. Mm-hmm. But even until very recently, those were very, it was very blurry for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think there is that burden for me in humanizing somebody is I have to like, really think like, okay, where are my boundaries though? Like mm-hmm. I need to make sure my boundaries mm-hmm. are there. I need to make sure that um, I see this person's boundaries and mm-hmm. the humanizing happens within those boundaries. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. That's really good. That's a really good point. Yeah. Because I, I think because of my history and relationship with my mom, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know if, uh, I don't think a lot of people know about codependency, but it's it's not like the intuitive definition of two people who are dependent on one another and support one another and just help each other through life. That's not the definition of it. Mm-hmm. Codependency is where like you and that other person become so entangled up in your identities that you're that it becomes extremely difficult to um extricate and like pull apart whose feelings are whose whose thoughts yeah. are whose um, it's like the only way you, that she can be happy is if you're happy or like vice versa right or if she's stressed out i'm trying to fix all her problems mm-hmm. you know it, and where you don't you're not able to um have like some healthy distance of mm-hmm. i'm going to support you but i'm not going to be swallowed up in all of your feelings and mm-hmm. Um, just also becoming caged in all of your anxiety and trauma. Mm-hmm. When I think about humanizing, I think there's some there's some fear that comes up mm-hmm. associated with codependency, mm-hmm. associated with am I going to disappear in this? Mm-hmm. Oh, that, yeah. Is this person going to eat me alive? Mm-hmm. I think that's I think that's the swamp. I think I've just described my swamp. It's that it's that I agree with the ideal. It's but it, it just feels like like a mountain to climb that I'm willing to climb that I am. Yeah on my way up, like I am going right now. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, that that is, I guess, the forest and the swamps between me and the top of the mountain. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, especially when, I mean, in this conversation talking about like me and you, I think I've had different experiences of, you know, things that have made me scared about different kinds of oppressors, you know, but mm-hmm. I, I think that the the boundaries part made a lot of sense to me. I think not knowing that codependent experience, like the way that you do, um, I feel like it it feels less uh, less mountainous for me, mm. like less of a that that divide that you're talking about. It does feel a little bit smaller for me. I thought that was, that was a good way to put it. Hey, did you mm-hmm. um, in terms of like your Ken Stanley, mm-hmm. did you feel safe with him from the get go or close to the beginning? Yes. And, you know, to to your point about like, like you want to know that someone is doing the work of whether it's like self-actualizing, you know, self-improvement, you know, changing, right? I feel like he's shown me that like time and time again, like without me prompting. I think a lot of times in, I guess we're talking about hetero relationships, but a lot of times it almost feels like a woman, you know, wants to change and will like kind of drag or like, you know, be like, do this, do that, whatever. Um, but without my prompting, I feel like he has been on this journey of self-actualizing and self-improvement. And a lot of it has a lot of it is his personality, but um, it also has to do with the trauma work that he's doing. And so can I say from the get-go that I felt safe with him? I think as far as I could I could tell, you know. Um, but what me and him always talk about too is that like I've felt unsafe in different situations, whether it was with 
um, like family or with ex-boyfriends, um, I felt unsafe to be myself. And I think the safest that I've felt is when we were together. And I think when you feel, I mean, he talks about, Stan talks about this a lot. When someone is on, like wants to be on that journey of self-actualization, you do have to be mm-hmm. in a safe environment. And mm-hmm. I feel like that's when I just like exploded um, is when we got, when we started our relationship. You mean like in a positive way, exploded positively in growth and growth. Yeah. It's like when this, when I felt the safest to be myself. Yeah. So yeah, but to your point of like, yeah, you want to know that you, like you can only humanize someone when you feel safe to do so. It makes a lot of sense in why it just like, it can't happen, you know, to like a stranger on the street, you know, or, or even why, like why it's harder with me with when it pertains to whiteness and white people. Um, mm-hmm. because I don't have very many of those relationships, you know, mm-hmm. and the ones that I do, it's like white women who are like very, like, like we're, you know, very compatible, you know, that was a very um, good swimming through the swamp or is very I, illuminating on your part. You know, I, I knew that there was a lot there, mm-hmm. but it wasn't like in disagreement with you. Yeah. That's why it was tricky. I was like, what, is, what is going on? I know you it's because that, um, that whole statement, I feel like, I mean, what I was even saying before when like a, another Christian person says like, just love God, love Jesus. I'm like, I never disagree with that. I don't, you know, and that's like ideal situation. Yes. But to get there, it feels so kind of like icky, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, so I understand what you mean. Like, yeah. Also to say though, that like, it is, it is an ideal, I guess, like even utopian situation where you just like are able to humanize each other. It's just so complicated. I have a hard time wrapping my mind around it also, even yeah. though like I, I said it. But I think, but to go back to why we even started this tangent, I think that is that moment in the movie does illustrate when relationships pivot, mm. when relationships are transformed and they change, you know? But one thing I want to add in before before um, we cut off about this or we finish talking about it is that um, I want to qualify. I want to explain about my mom and my dad. We we have come a long way. Mm-hmm. Um, my dad has, you know, we've talked about all the things, the events that I talked about with my dad um, in person several times. Um, he's apologized several times. We've had many heart to hearts about it. He has shown me moments of like radical love and acceptance and grace for me and who I am. Mm-hmm. He, he, he's an incredible father. Mm-hmm. And I think back on those times, um, not with condemnation, but I humanize him. Mm-hmm. You know, those are instances now where I, I'm able to humanize him and, and think like, you know, these are parts of his his imperfections. And, you know, I, I just wanted to add that, you know, mm-hmm. I, it's, it's not like th- those moments are where, are where our relationship ended, you know? Yeah. So like over time, like you've been able, able to humanize him, right? Over um, time. Absolutely. I think yeah. for many years, I just felt angry and I felt unsafe and I completely emotionally distanced myself. Yeah. So I, I mean, I think that's important too, because, you know, I'm, I'm not just saying like, you know, we just like need to immediately humanize people who are like actively oppressing you, you know, um, it does take a lot of, yeah, it takes a lot of work, takes a lot of, yeah. I I think it's just for people who are still working through their traumas Mm -hmm. or working through these like initial reactions that jump out of them at that statement, it feels immediate. It, because mm-hmm. if you're like not very far along on your journey of processing these heavy emotions, mm-hmm. humanize your oppressor can feel, can yeah. feel triggering, you know, yeah. but it is, I mean, ultimately I do think that's eventually where you want to get to in order for you to find peace, mm-hmm. you know, not just to like forgive and give that person, but it also gives you peace. Mm-hmm. You know, in addition to my dad, I also wanted to mm-hmm. say my mom and I have also come a long, long way. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, we went through a rough patch last year where I was, you know, we were trying to make some changes in our boundaries and in our relationship for the better, but it it, it was rough because transitions are rough. <laughs> especially in relationships. I'm, I feel really hopeful with where we are today. 
I haven't, we haven't like talked about like my whole grandmother, grandfather situation. Mm. Um, I don't think that, I don't think we need to talk about that anytime soon, but I do feel hopeful and just like the way that she's, um, you know, she's been getting her own, she's been doing her own work, mm -hmm. which is remarkable, incredible mm -hmm. to me mm -hmm. for her generation, mm -hmm. um, to willingly go to therapy and yeah. stick with it. That is That's I unheard mean, of. Yeah. I'm really proud of her. And Did with you... her doing her own work, like I, I am seeing that I feel like, t like I am, I am increasing in how safe I feel mm -hmm. with her. You know, it's just like, it's illustrating that it does go hand in hand. I think like the person doing their work and you also trusting like, Hey, let's, let's do this together. Let's, let's open up together. Anyway, I, I, I think it's, point. it's, I think it's, uh, worth watching still. And, um, I, I say that though, because I, I thought about like, Oh, when the girls are older, like, will I want to watch it with them? Mm -hmm. And I think I will, I yeah. think I will, but, um, we'll definitely talk about it together after. Yeah. I think it'd be cute to like, I'll go watch the movie with the girls and then like maybe go to like, a I don't know, like a little tea party or something. And we mm -hmm. can like just chat about things while we, mm -hmm. you know, munch on clotted cream and <laughs> okay. yeah, do you have something? No, those are our thoughts. I am talked out. So, no, I mean, do you have something to cheers with? Oh, I do. Yeah, I do. Okay. My mug. Okay. Until next time. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Bye. Click. Good night. Bye. Am I leaving? Yeah. Bye. Okay. Bye. Listen and subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. You can also follow us on Instagram and Facebook. 